On Samuel 13. Samuel was 30 years old when he became the king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. I'm just going to stop there and just mention those numbers may not be quite right. <laughs> just mentioning that, we'll come back and chat about that. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the Mount of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. He sent the rest of the people to their own tents. Jonathan struck the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard that Saul had struck the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel was considered an abomination to the Philistines. The people were gathered together after Saul to Gilgal. The Philistines assembled themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash, eastward of Beth-Avon. When the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were distressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in tombs, and in pits. Now some of the Hebrews had gone over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He stayed seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Saul said, Bring the burnt offering to me here, and the peace offerings. He offered the burnt offering. It came to pass that as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you didn't come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines assembled themselves together at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down on me to Gilgal, and I haven't entreated the favour of Yahweh. I forced myself therefore and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you, for now Yahweh would have established your kingdom on Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. Yahweh has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and Yahweh has appointed him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept that which Yahweh commanded you. Samuel arose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Saul counted the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with him stayed in Geba of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. The raiders came out of the camps of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned to the way that leads to Ophrah, to the land of Shual. Another company turned the way to Beth Horon, and another company turned the way of the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, towards the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith, blacksmith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines, each man to sharpen his own plowshare, mattock, axe, and sickle. The price was one payim each to sharpen mattocks, plowshares, pitchforks, axes, and goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass at Michmash. 
Well, before I get to the first verse with the possibly wrong numbers, I just want to mention that um, we've got a crazy, crazy situation here. The Philistines are pretty much uh, controlling things over a huge, big chunk of this land, and they've gotten rid of all the blacksmiths so that the Israelites don't have any weapons. If they want weapons, they need to find a blacksmith. The blacksmiths are in the Philistine territory, and when they go down there, they can get their plowshares and sickles and all those things sharpened for a hefty fee. It's price gouging. But the Philistines will not make them any weapons. So the only people with actual swords are Saul and Jonathan. And so the Saul attacks the garrison. So there must have been like a, a castle or a fort or something in the middle. Saul's attacked it to remove it. But then they've heard this and they've sent a whopping big army up to, you know, to retaliate. And so Saul has got this deal with Samuel that Samuel's going to come after seven days and Samuel has sent him a message, I'll be there in seven days, just wait. And he's going to come and do some sacrifices and seek the Lord, but Saul just can't wait. He's nervous. He's nervous of what's going to happen. He noticed the Philistines' army is gathering. He noticed his own soldiers are leaving. It says there that some of them fled to the land of Gad. Now that's across the Jordan River. In other words, Israelites are so scared that they're just getting out of there. In the next chapter, we're going to find out that some of the Hebrews, the Israelites, even joined the Philistine army because they wanted to be on the winning side. So Saul's got this situation where his own army seems to be melting away. Samuel hasn't come yet. He just decides, all right, that's it. I'm jumping in to do the sacrifice, which is a big no-no because we find out in the law, you know, back when we were in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, it was the job of the priests to offer sacrifice. Samuel's a priest, but Saul's not a priest. So Saul jumps in and he does something that God does not want, and God's very, very happy. Plus, as well as that, he's disobedient. And so Saul makes the first of his very big mistakes. And uh, the Lord says to him um, that, you know, if you had have obeyed, you would have had an eternal kingdom. In other words, your, your children after you would have sat on the throne. That's what the Lord promised to David. But because he disobeyed, that wasn't the case. So Saul acts out of fear instead of acting out of obedience. And um, Samuel says to Saul, he says, God's going to raise up someone else who's going to have a heart after God. Now that raises a question. What is a heart after God? Well, what's a heart? Well, you know what they say when, when you see something happen and it's, it's a sad situation and you might see someone that's not compassionate and someone might say, oh, I have a heart. Well, have a, having a heart for something means you care about it. So having a heart after God means someone who actually cares about God or, or cares about what God cares about. Someone who cares about the things that matter to God. So for example, you can have, um, you know, we fast forward into the Bible and we get to King David and, and he, he wants to build God a temple. Well, see, this is an example of David thinking, you know, what can I do for God? He's thinking he has a heart for God. He's thinking, what can he do for him? where Saul doesn't do anything for God. <laughs> There's no examples of Saul thinking, you know, what can I do for God? No, he's only thinking, what can he do for himself? We even see this in churches where pastors are only concerned with their own ministries. What's best for my congregation? 
but they're not thinking from God's perspective, which is the whole body of Christ or all of his people. And so every now and then you meet a pastor who's got a big heart. They think of all of God's people. They, they pray for the whole body of Christ. They pray for the other churches in their town. Well, people like this, they're people who have a heart after God. They care for what matters to God. Saul wasn't someone like this, but David was. And so we get to the end of this chapter and we've, Saul has made his first big mistake, which is basically he's so afraid of what people think and he doesn't have any heart for what God wants, so he ends up going with what people want and not with God wants. And this is a really, really common mistake. It's common not just with leaders, it's common with everyone. In fact, it's almost a universal condition that we all struggle a bit with what people around us think. And um, But it takes a lot of grace to just be single-hearted for the Lord and to go with that. And something to pray for, something to seek for, and we will pray for that in just a minute. But at the start of this chapter, it said that Saul had reigned, Saul became king when he was 30 years and he reigned for 42 years. Now, I mentioned a few chapters ago that, that the Bible is remarkably accurate. But every now and then we have these little textual things um, fortunately, there's only a handful of them, of significant ones in the Bible. It's because the copies of the Bible are so old, and sometimes um, we just look back at these old copies, and it's like something just wasn't copied right, or something's missing. And um, there's only a handful, and in no place where these occur does it ever change the meaning of the Bible. But it's just a reminder to us that the message is from God, but the message comes from people. And it's the same as when you share the gospel with someone and you lead them to the Lord. It's the Lord's words spoken by a human. And the Bible is like that too. The Bible is the word of God, but it comes to us in a very human way, written on animal parchments. And so every now and then we get these little things that we, we think about. We wonder, you know, did, did someone make a copying mistake or... Anyway, I'll explain. Let me read to you five different Bible versions and the way that the five different Bible versions have translated this. King James Version. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. It's quite different, hey? This is the ESV. Saul was blank years old when he began to reign, and he reigned blank and two years over Israel. The NIV. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. That's the same as the World English Version that we just read. This is NASB. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. Very similar to the NIV. And the LXX, which is the Septuagint, or the Greek version of the Old Testament, just left the verse out completely. Just not there at all. So um, what we've got here is um, the King James Version is more or less... The, the, let me read it to you again, the King James Version. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. You see how that sentence almost just doesn't sound like it makes sense? It's like something's missing or something's... And that King James is almost literally how the verse is translated from the Hebrew. So it says that he reigned one year and then he reigned two years. Or it says he had reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel. It seems just 
Um, some people think that it's saying how old he was when he became king and then how long he reigned for, but Saul definitely didn't become king when he was one year old and he definitely reigned a lot longer than two years. So my sense is that it's not actually talking about when he became king and it's not actually talking about how long he reigned. My sense is that it's talking about something else, like for example, this story that we're about to read, you know, the story of the Philistines, happened when he had reigned for two years. It's something like that. But a lot of people think that he's, it's talking about when he became king, which is why in the NIV it says he was 30 years old when he became the king, which I think he was, and he reigned over Israel 42 years, which I don't think he did. I think he only reigned for 40. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 13, verse 21, we get this from Paul. He says that Paul... Uh, Saul, so he reigned for 40 years. The first three kings of Israel, Saul reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years, Solomon reigned 40 years, and I think Rehoboam may have reigned 40 years as well. This is something that we know from the New Testament from other places. So I just don't think that this verse is actually even talking about how many years he reigned. Josephus, the historian, also says that Saul reigned for 40 years. Um... Adam Clark, famous commentator, he has the theory that the chapter is split in the wrong place. And when it says first year, it was talking about the story from the previous chapter. And when it says second year, it's talking about the story that's about to happen. Um, a commentator called Bergen, a modern day guy, he suggested that Saul reigned for two years as the real king. And then that's when God rejected him. And then after that, all the rest of his years, he was reigning as a king, but not as a king in the eyes of God. I don't think that's right either. I'm not really sure exactly what it means, and a lot of commentators that I read, I read about six of them, they all just put it down to we're not sure. So it's a mystery verse. <laughs> hey, it's a bit of fun to have a mystery verse every now and then, and there's, there's not too many of them in the Bible. In the end, what we're dealing with is very, very old documents, and they're written in very, very old language, and they're written with turns of speech. For example, where it says Saul reigned one year, it actually said Saul was the son of one year. So that's a, a Hebrew idiom, the son of one year. What does that mean? Someone even said that, um, you know, Saul had a son in his first year of king. Like there's lots of different theories about what it means. In the end, it's kind of sounds clunky in English when translated literally. But if you want to get kind of the exact sense of what was said in English, it's King James. Saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel. So it's, it's, it doesn't completely make sense on its own, but that's literally translated as closely as possible from the Hebrew. So there's something interesting for you. But I guess the, the main thing to take out of this chapter was the fact that Saul, um, he struggled with the fear of man. He struggled with what people wanted, and he allowed it to overrule his obedience to God. It's a very common human mistake. Father, I ask that you'd protect myself and protect all, all those watching this video from this sin. Such an easy sin to fall into, Lord. We all want to be approved of. We all want to, people around us to like us. I pray that you'd give to us the fear of the Lord so that we love your approval and we love your favour. Let us walk in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.